Hi everybody, this is Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicles Stories of the Supernatural. And I hope you enjoy this new show, whether you're viewing it on the internet or listening to a podcast version of the episode. I do want to thank you for being part of my audience. You can also find links to videos or podcasts on MiamiGhostChronicles.com as well as where you can submit your story about any eerie experiences you've had, which I would love to hear about. Just go to the Submit Your Story tab. Please subscribe to our channel so that you receive notification of when we release a new show. And find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. This is where I usually live stream and where I give you a behind-the-scenes look at locations where new episodes are being filmed at, I also tell you about all the interesting guests that will be appearing soon on Stories of the Supernatural. I hope you enjoy the show, and I think you are all wonderful. Hi everybody, this is Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicle Stories of the Supernatural. How is everybody doing this evening? Well, I'm doing absolutely wonderful, and you know why? Because you know what makes Marlene happy is when not only do I have a super interesting guest but this is a paranormal investigator after my own heart this is a gentleman who has been involved in this field for many years um, and you know I've mentioned it that sometimes paranormal teams slash investigators they do this for within one or two years they kind of fade away their interest is there but as far as actively going on cases and or being consultants they they just don't do it because uh it's and sometimes it's demanding other times it's boring but anyway he's one of these that has done it for years so of course he's got a wealth of information and expertise and his name is joe citrone and now let me tell you a little bit about joe uh he was uh born in uh in rhode island providence rhode island and he's already ahead of the curve because you know my first question what that is but he did have a ghostly encounter at a young age and of course that this uh set him on a quest for the truth and uh and then alter his life when you know that that happens quite often to people who have that experience as a child uh and this is how he basically turned on to this passion to investigate uh, the unseen realm and um as a matter of fact he and we're going to ask him about them. He he had a very bizarre conversation with his father only days prior to his death. Now, he went on to receive training from Keith Johnson, who was formerly with TAPS, uh, with uh, Sci-Fi Channel's Ghost Hunters. And this is also where he learned uh, as far as the scientific portion of paranormal investigations, which you all know for me is paramount. And then he went on and he founded in 2004, Dark Hauntings Research. She then went on to co-found Rhode Island Demonic Disturbances Investigation Association. Co-hosted Strange Encounters on WCAN Radio, which was dedicated to the supernatural. Uh, he was a lead investigator on the Supernatural Response Team, or SRT. And then in uh, 2010, he co-hosted Reflections in the Dark on Firefall Talk Radio. And then, of course, he's appeared on several episodes of... Uh, Haunted Case File, which airs on Destination America, and he's also the author of an autobiography titled Seduced a Spiritual Memoir, and in 2017, he released his first novel titled Mystic Winds. So anyway, welcome to the show, Joe. How are you doing today? 
Well, thank you, and it's good to be here. And I, I have to tell you, that was a great introduction, and uh, that pretty well set my weekend off nicely. I mean, that was really good. You know, it's all about you, but, but it's the truth. You know, it's, but it's like, good to be here. I'm, I'm glad to be on. And I'm glad that you had me. So hopefully, of course, we'll have my a pleasure. We'll have a good show, and we can just uh, yeah, yeah. What we talked we'll just, about, which we'll is this is it. just a conversation, and and of course, and I told you, my my, even though we kind of have a little bit of a heads up that sounds like you did have some type of encounter when you were uh, a kid, when you were young. What what happened? So, you know, as, as you were saying, and a lot of people, when they're involved with the paranormal, usually things will happen to them, you know, and then they'll go into the whole group of investigating and, and you know, the evidence. And some evolve understanding the paranormal going that way. And then there's the ones like myself that well before paranormal investigations and things like that were something that was prevalent in the United States and throughout right. the world, there were people that were having, you know, strange encounters. And my encounter happened uh, as a child. Um, I want to say I was six, seven years old. Okay. And it's a very, it's very, very strange. And, and I know the first thing that people think of all the time is, if I say, look, I had a paranormal encounter, it was on Christmas Eve, actually into Christmas Day, and people are like, well, you watch too much Scrooge or, <laughs> you know, things like that. But it, it really wasn't. What happened was this. I remember it distinctively, and, and, you, and you being an investigator, you understand it. Mm -hmm. When you have a paranormal encounter as a child or whenever you have it, it sticks with you for the rest of your oh, life. Oh, yes, absolutely. You've never Yes. And just reach back in your mind as it was just yesterday. And that's what the happens. The memory is very uh, fresh, always remains fresh. Absolutely. It's one thing that your mind just takes a snapshot of that event and it holds it to you for the rest of your life. But so I'd have to say I woke up around 4.30, 5, quarter past 5, right when it was in between darkness and light. That's mm -hmm. how it happened. And I'm in bed and... You know, where we lived in Providence, you know, we had brother and sister, brother and brother sleeping in one room on two twin beds. So I had my sister that was on the twin bed across from me. I can hear her snoring. I'm laying in bed. I'm looking out the window. It's in between that darkness and light. So you've right. got right around sunrise. And all of a sudden, I felt fear stricken as if something was in my room. But it wasn't anything human. And the first thing I did was close my eyes. I closed my eyes. I opened it again. And I see this figure standing by my bed. Now, the way I was leaning and sleeping on my side, I could look straight through the covers and see its waist. And it looked like it had a robe. And it was standing there. So I closed my eyes. Now, at that point, as a child, you know, I don't know much prayers. I'm just trying to blurt out whatever I could. And I was like, oh, please, God, make this go away. Please yeah. make this go away. I closed my eyes. They opened, and it was still there. And then again, I closed my eyes and saying, God, please make this go away. Our Father, who art in heaven, whatever I can think of as a child, right. I just blurted it out. And it was like everything lifted, and that being left. Wow. And I remember just saying to myself what just happened because I know that it wasn't my parents because I can hear them in the other room snoring. 
Mm-hmm. My sister was only, you know, young, four years old, and she's snoring, and here I am with this thing that's standing on my bed. And I don't know, and this is my question that I'll never know, because obviously had I had enough courage to open my eyes and look straight up at that being space to know what or who it was, I wish I had, but then I was so frightened that I didn't. Joe, I doubt. I can't think of anybody who would have done that. (laughs) Adult, much less a kid. Absolutely. It was was awful, and and (laughs) I have to tell you that. And the only thing I can say is this. I don't know to this day, because it would only be a speculation on my own behalf, was it the fact that I was praying that made this being go, or – did the being come to give me a message and knew I was afraid and left because it sensed my fear? Those are two things, right? That, you know, two questions that I have that I can't answer. Of course, in the Christian community, they would say, you know, definitely your prayer, it, it expelled whatever was in that house. But then there was always that part of me that said, why was my eyes open to see that? What was ahead right. of me down the road? And that's my that's my conflict within myself that I may never know that answer in this lifetime. So let me ask you, was it standing on the bed or next to the bed? Okay, so if I'm if you're laying say you're laying on your bed and you're laying on your side. Right. So you're laying on your side, you're looking straight ahead. Right. You know, like on your side. So the being was standing on the side of that bed. So it was kinda like how how a person would probably walk in and check on their child. That's right, what exactly. it was like, except, right, except I knew it wasn't my parents because they were snoring in the room sleeping, and it was nobody else in the house that was an adult other than my parents. So mm-hmm. whatever was there in me to feel that, that fright, that scariness, I knew even as a child, even though I couldn't put it in words to describe, yeah. something intervened in this realm that shook me enough to say, whatever this is, I know enough not to look because I'm afraid. And the only thing I can resort to in my mind at that point to reach for was prayer. Of course, of course. And I, and I, I understand what you're saying as far as, but I think we all have that instinct, it's even as a child, like you said, because, but we have that presentiment like, I need to pray. Um, because there's people that have had paranormal experiences, but they're comforting. In other words, they, they don't have any fear. But it sounds like you were like, with good reason, terrified. Like, I just want this to go away. And much less am I going to look up and, and take a look at that because forget it. Absolutely. And, and, and from that point, my eyes were closed to the supernatural. Not that, not that I didn't believe in the supernatural or I was never linked to the supernatural. I always felt somewhat spiritually linked to that paranormal realm. But Mm -hmm. it wasn't until I was 24 years old where I was having a conversation with my parents about, we had a conversation about the supernatural. They were talking about the Bible, things like this. So you got to figure this is, you know, this is 18, 18, 19 years later. We're having this conversation. And all of a sudden, this epiphany of that incident you know, when I was six, popped into my head, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. So it was like my mind suppressed it all those years. Remembrance, what happened through my parents talking about it, and I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe that I 
shelve that fear in back of my head, so you know, in back of my mind so much that I, it, I just remembered it now that that happened, and then and then it kind of sparked and ignited a whole nother thing. Like, wait a minute, we're talking about the supernatural. We're talking about that experience. We're talking about as I'm getting older and understanding and a little bit more wise to the supernatural. Like maybe there was a pattern. Um, throughout those years, and, and it was like now that I'm ready to hear it and receive it right. when I wasn't as a child. So it sounds like after that experience, nothing else happened there? You never saw that again? No, I never seen that again, but this is where it gets spooky. Um, so, and we could talk about this. Um, I mentioned it in, in the book anyway, and it was something that, you know, I w figured maybe on a legal point of view I wasn't able to talk about it, but now time has evolved and I can talk about it. When we had that conversation with my mom and my dad at the table, they had told me about a friend that they were hanging with right around that time that I had that experience. And the way my father described it, that this person was into the dark arts. They studied black magic. They, they did a lot of Ouija board and tarot cards. Now, I, I'm not saying, uh, you, you know, like, right. I have anything against pagans or Wiccans or anything like that. This, this person was into black magic is right. how my father talked about it. And right around that time when I ha had that experience happen, um, they had told me that they broke their friendship with this person off because of some strange, bizarre events that happened you know, even including to the possibility of even my sister um, having some medical complications um, as she, you know, when she was born as a result to linking to this person. Then it started to make sense wow. that maybe being involved with her, you know, my parents going to her house, things like that, I was, I was exposed to her house, that there might have been something that was attached to her and to me. Okay. So we moved. From Providence, and I spent basically from nine, ten years old, all the way up until my twenties, living in the suburbs of Warwick, Rhode Island. And when we moved to that house, it was a brand new house that was built um, in the woods. Uh, they, they knocked down all that stuff. It was surrounded by old 1800 cemeteries. And the first paranormal experience that we had had happened um, was when we first moved there. We're in the living room, and it's me and my mother, and I have a dog. Uh, it was a boxer. Okay. And all of a sudden, we heard footsteps, banging footsteps on our roof as if something was running across the roof. Wow. And it would shake the chandelier. That's what was happening. The chandelier. That's strong. It was that strong. And my dog at the time looked up, started barking. You could see the hair in the back of her neck just kind of stand right up, and she's looking, and she's growling. And my mother's looking at me, and she says, oh, my God, what is that? And I'm looking at her. And that same fear that I felt as a child with that experience was the same fear that I felt when this thing was um, running on the roof. Now, with the new development of our street, um, so there's, you know, nine, ten houses that were just newly built in, in this cul-de-sac surrounded by these woods, it was about a month or two later when we started getting friendly with the neighbor next door or that she even heard footsteps on her house 
of oh, as wow. if something was running across, shaking the whole house. And, and that's when we realized that maybe, um, just possibly, when they did the, the construction of building those houses around yes. all those little tiny plots, because they were little plots, you know, right. the, the, the little tiny 1,800 uh-huh. plots that you could trip over or it can get buried under leaves in the yes. fall because it's just they're, they're so small. I we, we often wondered, and um, and that's how that that ended up happening. And coincidentally, the frightening part about it is everybody on that street, including my my father, throughout the years, had something happen to them um, where they either got sick or they died. So we don't know if there was electromagnetic frequencies that was going on and. And that's how I kind of got into the, the, the paranormal aspect. And we can get to that after. But basically, that experience as a child fused into what we were experiencing when we first moved to Warwick. Um, I started realizing that somewhere down the line, something was trying to get my attention um, as to, you know, wh- where I was going to go as a direction in life, maybe as, as a person. Right paranormal i i don't really know that but uh that's when it got pretty freaky well and and you you made a good point earlier like when you have that first-hand experience obviously you weren't investigating they just you remember everything and, and it's like i don't care if anybody ever believes me or not i know okay i've got a sound mind and body that what i experienced was something that i can't explain by normal means so the, i think there's like a paradigm shift inside of you thinking i might not know what's there but i know there's something beyond let's say what are five senses because first that experience you had as a kid and then later on when you had that conversation what you described there of, you know when you hear this running on the roof of the house strong enough that the lamp shakes that's that's pretty convincing right there and and you know what? You're not the first one that describes I've had experiences as kids. And then later on, after years have gone by, do they sit down and they either talk to their siblings or their parents. And they then they fess up and they tell talk about their own experiences. But they never would talk about it when you were a kid because, you know, one, they were afraid of scaring you. And, and it sounds like that's what happened with you when you had that conversation. Oh, absolutely. I, I realized that. I might have suppressed it because I was so, you know, scared as a child yeah. that I kind of, I kind of forgot about that, but still was, un- you know, still understood that the supernatural existed. I would always exercise, you know, I, I would always have things that happened to me that were bizarre, okay. whether I could finish somebody's sentences when they were talking. It's like okay. I would hear what they were going to say before they said it. So I would get these little things that would go up. Um, and of course, being listen, growing up in 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 my time, you know, as far as you know, ABC uh, movie of the week, horror movies, you know, yeah. some of the old B movies, I, I definitely had an overactive imagination, you know, as a child. Um, but I could decipher and separate the difference between exactly. having that over exactly, and then but you know something what? supernatural. And Joe, let me tell you something. Compared to the movies, as as far as reality. Now that nowadays you look at something, whether it's actual or CG or EF, you know, FX, if, you know, it's so realistic compared like what you said. I remember the type of movies you're talking about, you know, these B movies and all this stuff that was like, when you, even when you look at it now, you go, oh my God, it's so campy. And, and as a kid, of course, you got scared. But 
Number one, they're not as realistic as they are now. But in the same thing, you always knew this is make believe. This is not real. You know? And Absolutely. it's almost like there was a very big divide. I mean, let's face it. If, you know, you, you don't want, even if, let's say, you saw a scary movie, maybe you might be scared till the next day, but then it was over. You know, you didn't walk around perpetually scared. I think the only movie that did that to me was when I saw The Exorcist that I did it behind my I knew you were gonna say, Listen, <laughs> I knew you were going to say that because I was about to say the same thing. I said, I agree with you with everything you have to say, except there's one movie that uh -huh. scared the daylights out of me. Yes. And still, to this day, if I watch it and really focus on it, it'll still jar me yes. on a few different scenes. And you know what? I tell everybody that, first of all, I went behind my mom's back. Because this is around the time that I got all the publicity that people. So my mom had told me, you you cannot go see that movie. My uncle, which is her much younger brother and his wife were going. And I lied to my mom. <laughs> I lied. I said I was going to go see The Day of the Dolphin because that's the kind of stupid thing you do. But, And I remember this was around the times, of course, that you know you stood in line. There, there was a line to get the ticket and then a line that went around the theater to get in. So I remember they were right. letting people out of the theater through a side door. Because that's how packed, you know, it got to go see this movie. And I remember we were standing there to get in, and they let out people out the side door. And I see a bunch of guys coming out laughing. I'm thinking, oh, my God, this movie's not scary. Look, they're laughing. Yeah. Uh, that's when you realize that guys laugh sometimes when they're scared. <laughs> Especially Absolutely. amongst each other. And then, man, that, let me tell you something, what was it, like 20 minutes into that film? It was like, oh, my God. That was a bad thing for me. I slept with my mom, for, I think, for like two months. I wouldn't sleep in my room. And I was driving her crazy. Yeah. I was driving I, her crazy. I have to agree with you. And, and for me, um, what ended up happening is I was so scared that my, like, my nerves in my bed, when I was so scared, my nerves actually made the bed shake. Not like, not like the movie The Exorcist. Yeah, what I know I'm trying to say is, I act the, the. I remember all of a sudden just being so scared uh -huh. that I felt the vibration of my nerves, and I'm like, "Wow, why did I put myself through this? Yes. And how long is it going to take me to get over this traumatic experience?" <laughs> it was. I'm telling you. I remember I made my uncle walk me to the door and I was like, I was, I slept with my mom and I was like all over and she was like, what's wrong with you? And of course the next day I had to confess because she was like, I was, I really wigged out. And of course I was young, I was a teenager. And like you said, this was movie was pretty like at that age and, and even adults were having problems with it. But yeah, that was, oh. the, that was, I guess the, 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 the watershed moment as far as horror films were concerned when, you know, people like, in other words, it crossed the line between make-believe fantasy in a movie and reality, where a lot of people were like, is that possible? And, you know, well, lately, and I want to say, I'm sure you've seen it, that um, two versions. One, you get, I think, a little bit more overuse of the word demon and in possession than you would have before, okay? It's become like the shock um, you know, like a shock thing. And, but then at the same time, you hear from the Catholic Church that they've had an uptick in cases of possession or people, you know, wanting an exorcism. 
even though they say well sometimes people there is in reality no type of uh demonic infestation it's just strictly unfortunately mental illness or you know something else so uh i mean and have you run across that with uh with the work that you do joe as far as the type of investigations you run across that's a great question and i can say this and you know I, I, everything I based, and, and, and the one thing I've learned as I've gotten older, everybody's, you know, in the paranormal, there's a lot of people in the paranormal world who claim to be experts and experts to the point of saying, well, I know what this is and I know what this is. I don't think anybody yeah. knows everything no. of exactly what it is. I think we can speculate. We can no. we can draw conclusions on based on how many times something happens. But at the end of the day, we're never going to really know. And I can tell you this. In all my investigations, with the exception of doing the Sally House back in 2007, which I did see things in there that leaned more on the demonic, we'll even say, quote, unquote, the demonic end of things. Okay. Um, most, of, most of my experiences in the paranormal has always been strictly the paranormal, meaning getting orbs. You know, back right. in the day, when you started off as an investigator, if you got an orb, everybody was excited because sure. you'd be like, I got an orb. I got an orb. Mm -hmm. and, and, and not all the time that these orbs are paranormal. A lot of them is just, you know, whether it's rain, it's right. dust, it's a bug, it's electrical. I mean, there are so many things. But what was happening with, with, with me and, and, you know, the group that I worked with, when we would go to these houses, we would capture orbs with distinct faces inside them. I yes. mean, to the point, you know, and you know, I, yes. So it's like, all right, listen, whether you're a skeptic, uh, whatever your beliefs are, you can't debunk a picture that I, you know, we just took that you're exactly. looking at right now on that camera. There's a face in there. You can't justify where that's coming from. We know it's not coming from this realm. I've had more orbs with faces and in show displaying paranormal as far as a humanistic level of something that would appear more human. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and then though, and then, you know, and that's the, the great thing about the, the scientific stuff and, yes. and why I'm glad that I was trained to understand how that, that all operates was we were also getting these large orbs with animalistic faces um yes. you know i i, I don't want to say rep reptile type of faces but in, in so many in so many words it, it, it is i mean we had one that we would call the gargoyle orb because wow. this thing did not look human at all and that's when i said to myself okay despite what my beliefs are or how people interpret religion and and their belief and how they can kind of make things fit into their their belief system one thing i can't deny if i was to step out of whatever my personal beliefs are i can say okay i can give you two distinctive orbs one that you could look at and say that is definitely human mm -hmm. and then i looked at another one that i you can say that's definitely not human if it's not human then what is it if it's not demonic okay i'm willing to listen to that you know your, your your theory on it if it's not demonic okay that's fine then what is it is it an internet is it an interdimensional being is it an ultra dimensional being the point is whatever that is is not supposed 
to be on this plane of existence, exactly. number one. And number two, most importantly, it doesn't look human. And I think that the thing also that people, you know, like, you know what I was telling you, hey, about the D word, the demonic, that there's a host of what I consider non-human entities that aren't necessarily or fall into the realm of demonic as in what we typically think of as a demon, okay? By this, right. I don't mean that in some cases, depending on what your interaction is with them, that they're not dangerous, okay, or malevolent. But there's a whole host of other things out there, okay, that which sometimes can explain when you're capturing, um, you know, some type of images that don't appear to be human or in the case as in a dead person, you know, this is a spirit of a deceased human being, a discarnate. And what is it? So I think there's a lot, like you said, there's a lot of things for all we know, there's a lot more that we don't. And you made a point by saying people that say, oh, I, I know this much, I'm an expert, or I know lots and lots about this. And it's like, in this field, that's one thing you learn. You're always the student because there's always Absolutely. a lot you don't know. <laughs> Absolutely. And you know, it's funny that you said that because one of my, my thoughts is I've gotten older and, and understood a little bit more. You know, once you listen, once you get through the wow factor that you've got the scientific proof that these things exist, once you pass that wow factor, then you can kind of get your rhythm as to find out where do you excel as an investigator. Are right. you the type of person that is going to be the one that sets up the equipment, is going to interview the family? Mm -hmm. I mean, every role as an investigator, no matter what you do, is a very important role because yes. you've got to know how to present yourself to a family. You have to know how to set up the stuff, how to talk to them, how to diffuse any fear that they have. That is an art in itself. Yes. And, and, and then you have the ones that can go into a house, take pictures, really good you know, photographers that they know how to set the cameras up, how to angle everything. Mm -hmm. So if something paranormal happens, they're going to get it. And then, and then there's the the small percentage of people that can go in there and, and sometimes just the aura or the presence of that person, the essence, that, that energy that, that, you know, that one particular or two investigators might have can just walk in there and almost kind of ignite whatever paranormal is in there by just their energy and their presence. So everybody plays, plays a big part into a true team of what a true team is all about is everybody's role is important. And you have to realize that even though you might not get something in, in, in as far as evidence wise, physically that you can see or, or audio that you can hear, you still on a good percentage has helped that person that you're doing. So, so if you ended up counseling them for whatever reason, yes. if you ended up putting their mind to ease, mm -hmm. uh, you, you know, to be allowed into their home to say those things, sometimes is enough to help that person. So you can walk away with no physical evidence, but oh, made yeah. a big impact by doing your job. Exactly, and 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 you know, in some of my shows, I've you know, I've talked about it as far as okay, from the angle, if you're a person that you're looking for. You've got something going on, and you're thinking, I need some help. I say, first thing, look for a team that's been together for a bit, okay, you know, as far as because of the experience. And I say, and when you speak to them over the phone, if they don't, if you don't feel right about having them over, 
because basically you're opening the door to strangers to come into your home and maybe discuss things you don't want you haven't discussed with anybody um right. in other words don't do it unless you feel really comfortable or confident that these people that you're going to bring in are at least open or understand a little bit about what's going on and i'm sure you've heard that sometimes some teams because of lack of experience or overconfidence they go into an investigation which has a legitimate supernatural occurrence and they make it worse because they don't recognize what it is that they're dealing with and yeah that perfect you're right uh I mean, besides the aspect of yeah, you're 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 allowing strangers into your home, and you're hoping they're going to be professional and know what they're doing, and um, like you said, sometimes people get carried away with a hype, and it's not always doesn't always work out. Sometimes things when you go to an investigation are not really that obvious. They're not, uh, or and I've you know because everybody you know I've, I always get questions like oh well how about when you get people that are you know, either mental illness or they're crazy. I said, you know what? Yes, you run across people like that. Some of it's really obvious. And I said, but that doesn't preclude that there might be legitimately something supernatural in there. As a matter of fact, that might be the actual catalyst for what's going on with in that home, you know. Perfect. And then, Absolutely. you know, you got to figure out how you're going to handle this, you know, as in, okay, how much of this is that maybe your grip on reality is not good or you, you might be paranoid and part of it is really being accelerated because you're actually witnessing stuff that you can't understand and of course your fear and i mean i mean that i could go into that as far as um you know how unfortunately there is a propensity for for things like that to follow people around um from house to house so it's uh it's it like you said it's really important especially the person that makes that first contact with either the family or the person as to for them to either understand exactly what's going on with the family besides what they're actually telling you that's going on the dynamics and of course the impression that they get about the team and um and by this, I mean people that really, truly, legitimately want help, okay? And I don't know if you've run across sometimes people are too excited. It's like, I've got a ghost. And it's like, how do you know? It's like, and then <laughs> it's either they, either you have to tell them they don't or it's they, they, that they're, they're not really concerned. They're not really scared. They just want somebody to go there and identify who's there. And it's like, you know, sometimes, I don't want to say, but sometimes things can be more sinister than they appear. And, you know, you're all like, oh, good. A ghost and it's like uh, don't be so quick to think that this is a wonderful thing sometimes it's not and it takes sometimes years for it to get dark but sometimes eventually that's exactly what happens uh, absolutely and, and one of the things you said is very powerful not every house and I probably have to say 80 85 percent of of the cases that come in can probably be debunked before you even go there. So there's a small percentage yes. that's truly might have true activity. And based on the questions that you ask a potential client on the phone and you do your screening, you can get a pretty good idea if you want to take the case or not. The problem is you've got the psychological aspect yes. of everything. There are people that watch these shows. They're up all night. Oh, yeah. They, they, don't really have anything going. Unfortunately, there's attention seekers out there. They want to believe that 
Yes. Their house is haunted. There's something in there. Um, radar of of a victim, and they just want somebody to talk about, to yeah. talk to. They they want somebody to validate what's going on in their life, and 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 we can build these these thoughts in our head of what it could be, or I think my house is haunted. And a lot of times, what's haunted is yeah. what's more haunted is what's in your mind in yourself that's that has created this paranormal exactly. disturbance or this this haunting and people don't understand that there's a psychological aspect to the paranormal that goes hand in hand and, and when you said okay you might have somebody that's older um, going through some psychological problems maybe some disorders they're on medication mm -hmm. I mean I've met, yes. I've dealt with people that had bipolarism sure. um, you know things like that it seems like well it's easy to say well this person is just seeing things they're not totally mentally there and then and, and I and, and for a long time I was buying into the fact that maybe this person is just on so much meds and this is what they're seeing and then it hit me then it hit me this is what did it for me and my eyes changed you know my eyes were opened and I I viewed things differently think about this the two most prevalent personality traits or or people um, mm -hmm. types of people that would experience paranormal would be an older person into the elderly years that are on medication yes. that are that are heading toward their older ages into death and mm -hmm. then you've got the young children yes that are entering the world of birth and into life and it seems like in the beginning of the birth and in the death, your eyes are open and seeing things right. a little different. And and then you've got the middle of the road people who are either, like you said, want to believe that their house is haunted, they want that attention, or they're doing something in their life that might have opened a door to oh, allow yeah. this to happen. Because the innocence of an elderly person and a young person is not going to voluntarily dabble into something yeah, that is going to get them in trouble. It's the middle of the road people. It's the Ouija car, the Ouija, the Ouija board people, the yes. the ones that are inquisitive, the ones that get drunk one night and say, <laughs> yes. "Hey, let's let's uh, let's try to conjure up this one." And, and I'm not saying it'll always it'll always oh, work, but there's a small percentage that it does, and that I think is how you can separate the three different types of, of, uh, of people and personality traits that might be the catalyst to bringing something in the house. So that's why I always ask, you know, a big questionnaire of, do you do drugs? Yeah. Um, you know, are you on any medication? Like you got to really just come straight out because oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not, it's like, be honest know? with me. You know, I'm not here to judge you, but you got to tell me the truth. You got to tell me what you're doing so I can decide if this is a case that I can take. And if it's out of my realm and I think it's more psychological than paranormal, then I might know somebody that could help you more on an internal level right. than I could do. And, and that's how we network in the paranormal community is to say, hey, look, that's not my forte, mm -hmm. but I might know somebody that is. So be honest with me. So I can direct you to the right person, exactly. the right chain of command. Exactly. And, and you know what? Sometimes, especially that, that 
question obviously about you know do you do drugs or do you take prescriptions or whatever I don't know personally for me I mean besides the obvious of like hey maybe you're taking medications that are having some type of side effect that's you know a lot you know maybe maybe they're giving you some type of the side effect is anxiety for all you know but in my experience also if you're doing I'm not talking here prescription drugs I'm talking you know like you know drugs it's like that opens you up also to a lot of problems in the metaphysical plane okay um, and I don't know if it's just because it pokes holes in your aura uh, or it's maybe the person has some type of uh, trauma in their background is but it's just like to me it's usually a sign like okay you know I'm not here to judge you like in other words I'm not the morality police but as far as an investigator that's telling me that there's a chance that you've left yourself exposed spiritually to either an attachment or something you know when you start telling me that you're doing drugs and, and I've had people that have been very honest with me um, that some of them have uh, have even had severe drug addictions but there's still a part of them that understands that something's going on around them that which turned out to be that legitimately it was supernatural and of course later on you know when you do a lot more um, in other words when they know you better you realize yeah there might be something going on here right now but they kind of tell you that they've had experiences just about every place that they've been at which then you know begs the, the question okay then maybe the the problem the haunted person it's a haunted person not a haunted house I mean but like you said this all boils down to as far as the what constitutes being a true investigator it's not just the the gadgets and the you know all the things that they have now to try to capture evidence there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff that you do as an investigator to understand better the people the the dynamics in the house and ultimately whether there's a supernatural haunting or not you know maybe it's just residual and who knows but yeah that's where you start off absolutely that 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 is the the cornerstone of being a good investigator in this field I, I, I agree, and you're right. I mean, there's so many different facets to determine whether you think a, haunt, a house is haunted or somebody's experiencing things. And, and listen, I mean, some people have experimented with drugs. I know many years ago, you know, as, as, a, as a young teen, I did the same thing. I've had my fair share of that. I'm not mm. saying that just because somebody might have dabbled into things, of course. then that, that means that they're going to bring the paranormal into their life. Mm -hmm. However, though, however, if somebody has a creative mind, if somebody is aware of a spiritual realm, and then they, like you said, about the poke in the holes, then they start dabbling to hallucinogenic drugs, things yes. like that, you're opening certain doors so your mind, your state of consciousness, actually opens up a portal in and of itself by using those drugs to activate that yes. particular part of your brain that yes. might open up that third eye, um, exactly. so to speak. I, I've got a friend that's part of the SRT. Actually, he's the team leader in the SRT. And, uh, you know, he'd always say that this paranormal investigations and, and people dabbling into it from, say, 2004, 2005 on since, since the ghost hunters, Right. that uh, they poke so many holes in the veil 
that the two worlds are are almost basically overlapping one yeah. another because it's it's so much that it, you don't have to look far to find the supernatural because the supernatural is becoming more of the natural as a result to everybody's dabbling exactly. to you know, listen all these kids back back in 2005 who watched the ghost hunters i mean you yes. know the ghost hunters jason and grant and, and i know those guys because obviously i grew up in in the same town as them mm-hmm. but here's the whole thing you watch that show especially season one where you've got two skeptics that are going into a house using EMF detectors. They're, they they want to believe, they want to find something, and, and, right. and, you know, they never really always found something. Right. People were saying, I want to go buy a camera and a tape recorder and a flashlight, and I want to do what they do. So they made ghost hunting seem like a yes. hobby that anybody can do. Like a 12-year-old could say, exactly. hey, let's go in this abandoned warehouse and – take pictures i'm a ghost hunter and and that's and 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 that's uh that i think is is too much but i will say this um because i know you probably asked me this as we're getting probably close to the hour mark already I no don't worry it. about that don't worry about okay that. so the other aspect is how i got involved with that supernatural and i'm going to say this i knew about my experience that i have had when I was a child. And then as I got into my teens and we moved to Warwick, I realized that there were cemeteries and, and plots and houses that were built around that. Okay. Then we had the supernatural stuff of, of the walking on the roof and the, the banging and all these weird type of sounds. Um, I kind of fell into life's pattern, relationships, life goes on, work, children. I mean, you know, you evolve as a person and sometimes you can't totally devote all your time to the paranormal because you still got the normal that you've got to, you've got to live because you're not going to make money as a paranormal investigator. People aren't going to pay you thousands of dollars. It's not right. like you see it on, on TV. Um, so it's a very, very strange thing that happened to me in 2005, and this is what ignited everything and kind of put me on the acceleration, uh, the fast track in the paranormal. Okay. Um, I had a, a, a bizarre conversation, so I'll never forget it. I want to say that it was July 9th, no, July 10th. So July 10th, it was a Sunday. I'm sitting on the porch. My father's there, and he asks me this question. He says, let me ask you, because he knew I was a spiritual person. You know, I read the Bible. I, I did so many different things, you know, as far as trying to always be that spiritual person to do the right things. Um, so he says, let, let me ask you this question. He says, uh, where do you think we go when we die? And, it, you know, it kind of took me back because we never really talked about death, right. you know, as far as that way. We talk about the Bible or we talk about ghosts and, and stuff like that, but we never really talked about death. And, and at that point in my life, I says, well, you know, Dad, I mean, me personally, I like to believe that we go to a better place. I like to believe that there is something beyond this world. You know, I mean, if you were to base it on the Bible, we do go to a place. And, and there is a place that's good, according to the Bible, and there's a place that's not. And I remember telling, telling him the story about the rich man and Lazarus. So just had that conversation. But and anyway, he's like, well, you know something? And this is what blew me away. He says, 
God has been good to me throughout my life. And he said, when he's ready to take me, he'll take me. Now, that was Sunday, July 10th. That was the last time I On July 12th, at 5 o'clock, I get a phone call. It's from my mother. As a matter of fact, I have five missed calls and two voicemails. I had my little Nokia, my little Nokia phone. I'll never forget yes, it. Yes, I remember that. And Nokia's. I, yeah, you know the little Nokias. Yes, before, I do. Before smartphones, you had those small little yes. Nokias. And I and I remember listening to the message. And my my mother says, Joey. She says, you got to give me a call. I think your dad has taken a heart attack. And I went I went home. And midway through the ride home, I, hit, I, I get this sense that he's already passed. Okay. And when I got there, he was already gone. Um, wow. The ambulance had taken him, and he had, he had died. He had died of a heart attack um, during that day. And then it hit me that night. You know, because at that point, I'm in shock, and, and yes. you know, I don't know how to take all this in, but... And then when I got to focus, I'm like, wow, we had a conversation 48 hours ago yes. about death. And did he know exactly he was going to die? Sub, sub, in his subconscious, even though his rationality and his rational mind might not have known that, somewhere in his spirit, his essence, that person that he was in that body might have known something and it was almost kind of like a for a self a self uh, foretelling prophecy without really knowing. And uh, we we had the funeral and, and and we had the wake. Then we had the funeral. And the day of the funeral, we're all sitting in the living room, and he's got um, he has a clock. We had a clock, and it was one of those wind up clocks, door handle, and you set the you set the time and you do all that stuff. That was one of his favorite clocks. So we're sitting there and all of a sudden the door, the handle where the door, the door of that clock, which you kind of have to pull it. It's not easy to do it. It's kind of like a little click pull opened up by itself and closed. And one of the, the girls that were there started crying. That clock door just opened. Wow. And that was obviously it was his favorite clock. And and then that's when I says, wait a minute. Yes. There's something to this whole thing. So I reached out to Taps. I reached out to Taps. I let them know what was going on. I let them know what was happening uh, with my father and the clock. And uh, about that next day, the case manager got in touch with me and said, hey, Joe, uh, I just want to let you know um, you're in the area. You're not too far from us. Um, we're going to send somebody to come down there and, and uh, see if we can validate anything. And uh, they sent Keith Johnson, ended up coming okay. um, with his wife, Sandra. They came over to the house, and I kind of explained to him everything that was going on. Um, they took pictures. They, they ran the audio recordings. They did all those things. And then, of course, he took all that information. And, of course, I'm taking everything in. I'm like, okay, so they're setting up the cameras, they're doing this, they got one person that's asking them questions, they got another one that's doing EVP session, there's another one with, you know, a little Canon camera taking pictures and doing all those things. And I'm like, okay, so this is how this is how it goes. All right, that's fine. So I I respected what they had to say. They went home, 
and they ended up um, doing an evidence review. And they came back the next week or, or a week and a half later and said, listen, this is what we have. Um, we of a, of, of a, it, it sounds like a person that's breathing heavy um, into the tape recorder. Wow. And we've, we've got an orb in your backyard, a big, white, bright, glowing orb that is about 10 feet from your back porch. So he showed me the evidence. He explained it all. And, of course, at that point, I'm fascinated right. by everything that they're doing because I believed in the supernatural on a faith base. I believed in the supernatural by the experience that I had, sure. but I never could I could never link the two together as far as what they you know how, how do they intertwine together and uh, and then Keith says, so listen, um, I'd like to have you join our group for a little while. Um, you know, well, I mean, just join the group, but you know i'll I'll show you some of the scientific stuff. I'll show you what EVPs are. I'll show you how to pretty well. Um, you know, do all those things, and, uh, and and that's what I did. And then one thing led to another, and I branched off on my own. And, of course, you know, the rest was kind of like just trial and error and getting cases and bigger cases and smaller cases and, and you know, in-between stuff. And, and that's how I kind of got involved with into the, this, yeah. the, how I found myself to say, okay, wait a minute. I don't know if I believe in the religious aspect of everything 100%. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I believe in the secular of everything 100%, exactly. but I do believe based on the evidence that I that I have obtained that something is definitely going on. Right, there's and, something uh, there. There's something there and me the type of person that I am, I just had to I just had to know. I felt like Mulder on the X-Files. Yeah. I I really did. I was like I have to know about this, and I and I have to. I need to get the evidence, even though I knew I I believed everything. Exactly. And once I did, and my eyes were open, and I, you know, fused everything together, I says, okay. So you know something, when a skeptic or somebody says to me that they don't believe in the paranormal or they don't believe in spirits, I can sit here and I can say. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, I can say, well, you're entitled to your opinion, but unfortunately, you're wrong. Because yeah. I can show you and prove to you where it does exist, maybe not in the capacity of how TV or media presents it, but I can definitely present another realm beyond this realm that does exist. And one day, whether you believe it or not, when you cross over to that next dimension, that next realm, you will understand exactly this conversation we're having here. Exactly. And by the way, I, I have one of my beliefs that I think that some ghosts or discarnates that hang around for a while are those people that don't believe in the afterlife and then they die and then they're like, huh, what, what is this? <laughs> That's you know? great. It's like wait, they still have their self awareness, you know. They thought that when it was done, it was done, and it's like now what do I do? <laughs> I think it takes them a little bit, and they hopefully they move on. But yeah, I think there's a there's some um, ghosts that that are those very people that not that they 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 really truly believe that when you died that that was it, that was the end of it, as far as your self awareness, who you are, etc. Uh, and then it's like, no, that's not it. 
and then you have you know the ones that are scared because they they think of all the things they've done wrong and if they have some any type of religious even if they were something that they heard when they were kids they're they're afraid of being judged and the consequences so they hang out but um and you know what the thing about this is that and i tell everybody like what you had those experiences and then what happened with your dad come on what's the coincidence within 48 hours this happens to your father you have a conversation that like you said was out of the norm okay as to the content and like i tell everybody you know as an investigator or even not as an investigator as any person that that you want to believe but at the same time you want to believe but because you've witnessed something you don't there's a part of you, like you said, the investigator part of you wants some type of proof. And sometimes you do have those experiences. You can't quantify it. You know, I can't produce a photograph. I can't produce a recording or anything. But you know that what you experienced or what you saw, whatever it was, is real and and is supernatural. And then that's all you need to go forward. And then, you know, eventually in this field, you know, you have other... You have other experiences that confirm it. But once you have that first one or two that you know definitely what it is, it's like, I know there's something there. Like you said, I just don't know exactly where this leads or where this realm, you know, one thing begins and the other one ends. So, which is part of what being an investigator is all about as far as, you know, I mean, and I, t and I tell everybody, you know, when, you know, you could, uh, you know, in this day and age, like you said, that people want to be the, the, the paranormal investigator. Said, so, you know, you could read a bunch of books, but nothing replaces field work. And by this, when I say field work, it's like you said, beginning whether it's with a, an interview on the phone, to going out there, and sometimes things happen. Other times you fall asleep because there's nothing there, or your timing for the team is just not right, and nothing is captured. But I say, but from all those encounters, that field work, that's really where you learn all about this. And then every once in a while, you run across those scenarios where it's like very evident that there is something going there or going on there that is intelligent. And by this, I mean, you know, but sometimes you have, and I don't know, I'm sure you run across it, uh, Joe, where the family or the individuals is having experiences but it's really residual it's like maybe a smell or a certain sound that if you find out you realize this is just a replay there's nothing really here as far as uh an actual human spirit that's doing it absolutely and i and i agree with you i think as you know listen there are various types of hauntings there's you know, just like EVPs. I mean, there's active energy, there's past energy, which is residual right. energy. There's, um, you know, there are poltergeists, there are inhuman haunts. I mean, we've got a label for everything. But mm -hmm. the, the truth of the matter is that you're right. There are things that are just smell, um, you know, right. perfumes, um, cigars, cologne, something that, that gives you that remembrance of, hey, listen, there's something here, but not really actively here, just kind of a, a leftover residual, an imprint that right. will probably forever be embedded in this home, especially if the person is, is, has died in there. And, and then there's the active energy that you might have a loved one that passed on that 
you know, love to smoke cigars, and, right. and maybe maybe you smell that cigar. Maybe, you know, and, and here's the other thing, too, and, and you know, I'm, I'm got to remember to say this, too. It's, it's, it's a theory of mine. I don't know this 100%, but, you know, you know how people will say that could sometimes flow through into not only a smell or, or, or a sense, but um, even – even through uh, coming through into music. Yes. You might be thinking about somebody that, you know, who has passed and you're, they've been on your mind and, and all of a sudden you turn on the radio, you know, and you're yes. just driving and this song comes on that links you to that person. And even though they can come to you sometimes in dreams and in visions and things like that, I think that somehow, because if they can manipulate the energy with the electromagnetic frequencies, I'm not saying I'm not saying that they're miraculously making this song play, but I think there is a, a, a possibility to manipulate the bits and the airwaves that at that right time, at that split moment of time when you needed to know that somebody was okay that a song could just pop on out of nowhere that was maybe a song that that person liked or something that makes you remember a past memory of that person and you wonder and you say with all the million songs that are out there and all the things that everybody does simultaneously 24 7 it was like the universe looked down at me in that car at that one particular yes. time and said here's that song this is what you need and you receive it and you hold on to that song and you're like, wow, those little subtle things to me are just as supernatural as getting an orb or an EVP. Absolutely. And, 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 you know, you know what they call synchronicity. I mean, a lot of people want to dismiss these things and they call it coincidence because I think it's like, I don't know. They, I, I usually think of those people as wanting the world to be a little bit safer. Like, okay, you know that 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 thing of where there's something out there, maybe maybe manipulating that. I hear, like you said, that example. I hear this song at this time, at this moment, for whatever. They, for them, it's just too much of a loose end, so they don't want that. They want the 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 assurity. So of course, it's like, oh, that was just a coincidence, but. Like you said, there's sometimes when things happen, you see things, you hear things, you meet people, you get a phone call that you're like, this is this is just not a coincidence. It's not. It isn't. No. And if you can pay attention to those little signs, like when you think about somebody you haven't talked to yes. in a long time, um, do you find it coincidence that out of nowhere that person calls you? Of course not. I mean, it's just. Okay, so, you know, and that's what I want to say to some of the skeptics, which I respect skeptics because we need skeptics yes. to keep us on our game. Sure. I, I do think that they have a purpose, and then, and then maybe one day they'll get that epiphany. But it, it's really it, – it just, it just comes down to saying to yourself, okay, if I can pay attention to the signs, every little sign, I can find the supernatural in the wind. I can find the supernatural sure. – in a thought, in a song, in a in 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 a in a 
you know, a still frame in my mind. It doesn't have to be supernatural like how we see it in movies. It can be so oh, subtle, not. but just enough to make an impact to say, okay, I'm on the right track. I, I'm going to continue doing what I think because, you, you, you know, life goes on. Um, but course. I will say this. It, in my final thoughts on this whole thing is with all the years that I've been linked to the supernatural from a child and evolving and going through heartache and death and investigations and evidence and everything that we can go in between the media, the, the television shows, whatever you want to capitalize on, on, you know, in what we can see in this physical realm dealing with the supernatural. I think there's a lot of good, there's a lot of good that's come out of it. I think people's yes. eyes have opened up, um, so we can take we can take good out of any bad situation. Sure. But one thing I w- one thing I will say, as I'm older now, I find myself easing back on the supernatural, not because I don't believe it or respect it, because obviously we 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 know that I have, I do. It's just that. You, knowing the supernatural, being linked to the supernatural, makes me appreciate my life now and those around me and, yes. and those loved ones and my transitions as I get older. Because as much as we know that death is a transition, it's not the end. Mm-hmm. What we have here on this world, Earth, is just is special meaning exactly you've got to look at you've got to look at this we observe the supernatural and obviously they observe us and as yes. much as we want to know what's on that other side um and and we're always going to have that longing to do that i never really stopped to think that once those are on the other side do they long to come back here and know that they can't so i have to say that I need to appreciate life mm-hmm. and the people that are around me in this physical realm because there will come a time where they won't be there and I won't be there. And, and I think that's what it's all about. So I think the maturity as an investigator or should I say somebody who acknowledges that the supernatural does exist, right. I think eventually will learn to appreciate their life here more knowing the importance of what the supernatural will bring to us when we leave this realm and go into that realm. So this realm becomes just as much as a big play. If it's not forgiveness, if it's not, if it's not whatever we need to do in our life while we're here, I think that we should have that same longing to accomplish those things here as we have that longing to accomplish things on a paranormal basis to educate people we need to educate ourselves a little bit more of what's in front of us and and how life here um takes on its own um life life itself becomes an entity as death becomes an entity and you know what joe you make and and i'm glad because like you said once you're involved in this for a few years that you know because of course of like you know the the people look at the 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 shows or whatever and and um they don't realize like when you do this i tell everybody i think a lot of people don't realize how closely the spiritual world is enmeshed with our reality that being said the reason okay 
that whenever people are usually in the presence of something supernatural, whether they see it or not, some people hear it, feel it, see it, whatever, that you get that dread feeling is because in, in a way they're intruding into a place where they don't belong. Because this is the place for living people, people with bodies, okay? And like I tell everybody, you know, if you have a loved one, what you want is for them to move on. And yeah, they could come back and visit you, for example, on an anniversary or something. Or like you said, you know, you, you smell a certain perfume or um, they, they smoke cigar, something. And this is their way of letting you know, hey, you know what, I'm okay. And I stopped by, but they don't hang out there. And unfortunately, the kind of entities, the kind of discarnates that hang out on this in-between, which are the ones that are trapped, like you said, these are the ones that sometimes either they're confused, they don't know they're dead, or more than sometimes they want they don't want to be dead. In other words, they still want the experience of having a body, and or they're stuck. And I think that what you said is there comes a point where you try to pull back a little bit from this work, or give yourself sabbaticals in between the cases, especially if you know, depending also on the type of cases you've run across. Because I think that there's a danger that if you let this intrude too much into your regular life and, of course, your family, it can have a negative effect. It can. Because a lot of times, um, like I say, when you go out there and you're trying to communicate uh, with discarnate beings, you're going to have a lot of them come in and not all of them are nice or I mean it it's incredible what you could pull in even with protection prayers and a lot of them sometimes are just desperate to communicate or they're just anybody that's out there they're just gonna zoom in on you and I think that people don't realize that that's that that's why we get that funky feeling that we have when we're around something that's supernatural and that's I think our own human instinct like I'm in the presence of something that's really not supposed to be here now. Uh, and a lot of people have that same effect. You know how certain places, they get that reputation of being haunted. And it's because of that. Because I think it, when you're alive, as in you're incarnated in a, in a, in a body, uh, there's something that, and if you, I mean, if you look at even ancient history, in some cases, yeah, you had ancestor worship, and of course, these were spirits that usually, of course, are the family. But in some um, cultures, you weren't even allowed to talk about a deceased person or mention their name for fear of that you were going to bind them or bring them back into the realm of the living. And, you know, it's very exciting and very interesting. And as an investigator, it's there's a lot of rewards, especially when you can help somebody or a family but at the same time there's you always need to have a really really strong boundary between your life and doing that this type of work and i think sometimes people that look at these shows don't really understand that absolutely and, and you know how i sum it up i i, I use the ocean scene okay. uh, i take the paranormal world and i look at it as an ocean so when you're at the beach you'll most people will stay between a foot to about four feet of water. Some go five, six, seven feet out, but they don't go too deep. Now, right. what is in that five to six feet of water? Sure, because you have a shark there once in a while. If you're in, 
if you're in Florida, yes, that that's definitely a. Uh, you, you know something, but but the truth is, you pretty well know it'll be there. You've got crabs, right? You know, you've got smaller fish. You have things like that. Then you start to go a little further out, and then you've got obviously we don't do that as swimmers. But if you were to go 20, 30, 40 feet out there, then you're subject to whatever the larger fish are, Ooh. and then you can go really deep, deep, way out there thousand feet down and you can see things that you never knew existed i think the paranormal is just like that i think that as a as a regular investigator they scratch the surface of the smaller fish they'll get the little orbs they'll they'll get the little residuals they'll get the little spiritual feel goods and the goosebumps and all the little things and the hair and the back of your neck but very few dive deep and when you do go deep and you come face to face with the predator, <laughs> you're not gonna yes. be you're not gonna be that type of person that is gonna continue to want to do it. You will remember that. Yes. You will have a fear and respect to a certain extent for yes. something like that. And you'll probably not go too deep knowing the consequences if you take everything lightly. So I take it I take the supernatural like an ocean. You could love it. You can respect respect it, it. and you can fear it. And I think you've got to keep that balance as an investigator. Yes. And, you know, when you something that you said earlier about that people get caught in it because they want, like I said, this this is called fear of the ordinary. You know, I'm more scared of being ordinary than I am of the ghosts, you know, and that's where people get themselves into really bad predicaments when it comes to the supernatural. Um, Absolutely. and, And it's really important that, you know, and I'm sure you've run across the case, you know, and, and by this, I mean, not that you move someplace and, you know, you know, you realize, God, something's going on or whatever. I go, if you, like you said, once you go, like, you know, when you go through the shore, the drop off point where all of a sudden the color of the water turns dark. Right. And you don't know what, what's there. You know, you're one, if you ever find yourself coming across some type of entity of this nature, you you can consider yourself lucky if you're allowed to back out <laughs> and say let's not pretend let's pretend we never met okay because like i tell people sometimes these type of entities they're not like human beings they have no moral compass you can't negotiate with them they don't you know or so and i think sometimes people in their desire not to be ordinary they unfortunately come across these things and I don't think they realize just how it can unravel your life by slow degrees. And like I tell everybody, and then when you come back to the point of origin of where, when did this thing start going downhill for you in your life? And they'll say, yeah, five years ago, like you said, this happened, or I did this, or I was here and I, whatever, whatever. And I think that if, uh, I guess my point is, it's not quite as dramatic as Hollywood wants to paint it, but it can be a real, um, it can have very dire consequences for you in your personal life and in your families. And uh, so it's like a cautionary tale. Some people are going, oh, you guys, you're just trying to scare all these new paranormal investigators. And I'm like, no, nobody's saying stop. It's just be careful. There's a difference. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anything you do, you've got to stop. You have to think and listen. And you've got to always use precaution you use it when you're driving whether you're in a car or a motorcycle or a plane i mean 
you're aware of, of anything that can happen at any time. I mean, the chances of things happening could be slim to none, but you always have to know that there is a good percentage or a small percentage that things do go wrong. And if they do go wrong, are you trained enough to understand what to do in the case that they do? See, most people who investigate never really going to get the repercussion like we see in the movies. Yeah. A spirit is not going to just fling somebody across the room and yeah. knock them into the wall and you're going to say, okay, I'm done. I, I think that there's a part of you that knows it exists, mm -hmm. but there's a part of you that has no fear because the chances of something making contact physically with you are slim to none, although it does happen and th yeah. there are those cases. Um, sometimes you need a reality check. I think depending on the type of person you are, right. I, I, I think a reality check is good to have happen sure. to you because it keeps you on your toes. And then you get the ones who have been in the business for a while. They understand, and they don't take anything for granted. And they're like, okay, everything you've got to tread with caution, but you can't go into it believing that everybody who says their house is haunted, that it's haunted. So you still – you still got to have a, a, a level of skepticism, a level of professionalism, but you also got to have a rational mind to know how to deal with something in the event that something supernatural happens. And what if things start flying around? Uh, exactly. what, what if something bad happens? Do, do you know what to do when it does happen? Are you going to run out of the house? Are you going to let me let me ask something, Joe? Have you ever had and and and, I'm, and I'll tell you why? Have you ever had that experience where you've gone into a case and? When, you know, somewhere along the line you that you said, I need to back out or I need to back out the team or I need to reconnoiter or this is, you know, um, this is about, uh, like, in other words, I'm out of de my depth here. Have you ever run across a case like that? Well, cases that we've taken, obviously, I, I've known what to go into as far mm -hmm. as what to expect. Yes, as far as anything evil happening or something bad happening where I thought that I was out of our, my realm, I would say that that happened to me one, once. Uh, well, a couple of times, but one profound was when I was in the Sally house and I witnessed somebody getting attacked in front of me, um, you know, where scratch marks wow. were appearing on their body. Um, and of course, you're sitting there, you're baffled, you're shocked, you can't believe it's happening. Right. You've got so many emotions going on. And then you had that level of fear. And the only thing that I can do, just like I did as a child who didn't know really what to do other than pray, is I stopped, I thought, and I said, listen, I am going to pray. I am going to cleanse my surroundings. I am going to pray in, mm -hmm. in, in the faith that I believe. And then I'm going to get out of this house and say, okay, listen, um, this is, you know, I'm not going to sit there and and and." and pretend that I'm doing something or I'm somebody that I'm not. I was rational enough to know that, say, hey, look, I'm out of my element right here. I've got to pull back. I've got to get a train of thought, and I've got to try to approach the situation a little bit differently. Because as a fighter, as a boxer, you're not going to go right. haul off in the first two rounds and throw in all your punches, and then you're going to just get nailed because you're exhausted yourself. You've got to have a balance. So, yeah, I've been in situations where I could say, okay, I realize that whatever could be in here is much bigger than I am. Right. I'm smart enough to know that I've got to pray, I've got to cleanse, i got to exactly. do whatever I do that I do, 
and then I've got to go because I know that me staying here might not really be good for myself or, most importantly, my clients. Well, no, and, and the reason why I ask you, because I've at other shows I've always said, you know what, the sign of a experienced team or team leader is there's no shame in retreat or to reconnoiter, especially if you run across exactly like exactly what you described as in, I don't know exactly what it is, but I know that I'm out of my death or I know that this is in, in because some, you know, and, and I say this because sometimes you see, you know, examples of provocation. I'm like, you know, that's that's not really a good idea. And there's no shame. As a matter of fact, you're more professional if once you come across that for yourself and your team as well as for the people that live there and real quick let me ask something in the sally house what do you think is going on there do they have a portal did you get any sense of what's going on there great question so i did the sally house in 2007 i returned to the sally house last year it was last august actually um that we did a in the town of Atchison, interviewing people. Um, you know, we went into the Sally House and the, in the surrounding people, and it was mostly just to talk about people and, and to talk about Atchison itself, to uh, to reunite with Deborah and Tony Pickman, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the, the former residents of that house, and that's what we were really that we were really um, set to do. But I would say, based on my experience there and uh, knowing the house. I don't believe it's the house. It's the house itself. I believe that Atchison and that that area okay. does sit on a portal, okay. and I had somebody that explained it to me best when I first went there in 2007. They said, "Picture the Sally House where it's placed. Picture Atchison and all the surrounding houses that are haunted that do have activity happening. Picture it as a bus stop." a supernatural bus stop okay. that these spirits could come in, they go out, they go in, they go out. You never know what's going to pull up on the bus stop, wow. what's going to want to ride, what's going to hitch a ride. Um, and so, yes, to answer your question, I believe Atchison is one big giant portal okay. um, for the supernatural. And it just happened to be right smack dab in the middle uh, where the Sally House is. That is where a lot of the activity happens to be. So that's. And uh, Joe, let me ask you: the um, did any of the prior uh, occupants before the Pikmins did they ever have any experiences? Did they ever find out, or were they the first ones? It, um, there were some. There were some allegations that things happened, but nothing anywhere remotely close to okay. when Deborah and Tony moved in there, which I believe it was 19, between 1992, 93, 94, it was somewhere around there. I, right. I can't really remember what, when it was. That's when it really became the Sally House and, right. and the, po- the supposed little girl named Sally and all those things. And as time went on, people were d- debating is it a little girl? Is it is it a ghost? Is it demonic? Is it this? Is it that? And the conclusion that was always drawn with even the Pikmins was that what they thought might have been a little ghost, you know, a little girl or, right. or a ghost, they believe it was malevolent in nature. And one of the um, 
fascinating yet scary things about the Sally House at the time when it was at its most active, um, that the spirit or the main spirit or the, um, we'll say, evil spirit that occupied that house, what, what was amazing about that and intriguing, fascinating, scary all at the same time is every person saw that spirit differently. If you wanted to believe that this is what it was, right. it would conform to that person. Yes. If you believe that, you know, you, you know what I'm saying? So it was almost yeah. like a chameleon uh -huh. that whatever you thought it was, it would be yes. until eventually, depending how long you stayed in there, it would rear its ugly head and show that it's beyond that. And right. that's what made the house very dangerous because right. you could and feel really good and say, I feel nothing but peace in this house. I think there's spirits that are trapped in here, and I don't see them as being negative. And, and that might be true because there are times where it can feel that peaceful in that house, and then in a split second can turn into a very cold, dark, scary house with a spirit that obviously is, is Tony is definitely well aware of and experienced. Um, could definitely attack you, scratch you, cut you. And even in, in one of the cases with him, um, in the beginning, he even had burn marks wow. um, on him. So so a bus stop of many different spirits, it's just a matter of what 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 big one decides that they want to stop in there. And that's uh, that's that's the, that was the Sally House in a nutshell. But now it's become a tourist trap. The Sally House is one of those things where you can rent a, rent it out and right. pay so much money to go investigate it, and it became an incubator, um, a test tube, a testing ground for investigators to go in there and, and get their evidence and uh, the potency of what that was at you know at, at a time in, in in life you know 10, 15 years ago is not that same now because I believe the spirits have moved on to other parts of Atchison, other parts of Kansas, where yes. now the, the Sally House is not the main focus anymore. I believe it. I believe it. And and based on what you described, you know, something like that, that mimics or kind of seduces you in a way, you know, like brings down your, depending on what your expectations are, what makes you feel comfortable, it sounds definitely it's a non-human entity that what's there or what's, or was there, whatever the case might be, which is... You know, yeah, and sometimes those things, and some, and I know that in some cases things like that go dormant for a while, and then they come back up, and that's why I'd asked you if the, you know, prior to the Pikmins being there, uh, if anybody had had any experiences like them, because, um, I mean, there's, and I'm sure you've heard of it, some people, when somehow they have horrible experiences, and other people have none at all, or very like, oh, it's nothing, you know, very minimal, and. You try to understand why, but it's just that's just the way it is. But anyway, Joe, I wanted to thank you so much for spending this time tonight. It has been absolutely wonderful to talk to you. Um, I think that, like I said, I always love to uh, speak to somebody who's been doing this for years because you have the experiences not only personally for your for your own personal life, but the like that the story that you just gave about your experience in the Sally House um, that uh, 
and then I'm going to give you a perfect example. Usually the Sally House, it's connected with the Pickmans and their experiences when they were living there that, you know, they were a young couple and what happened to him because he looked like he was a target person. But this story that you just described of when you were there, okay, that you witnessed something and I'm pretty sure that having the experience you had under your belt for you to be like I may imagine maybe do a double take it was must have been something significant and and your observation that this thing tailors its appearance to maybe whatever will make you feel more comfortable or or somehow help it to engage with you you know those things the you only find out those things when you have conversations with people like yourself Absolutely, and, and I do believe that. And, uh, you know, I think, it, it, and you know what? In closing, I, I'll say the same thing. If you take the template, the Sally House as the template, right. and you were to say, okay, listen, if somebody sees a spirit a certain way or experiences things, could, could an entity conform to the familiarity of what it wants you to see based on what you want to see? Absolutely. And I think that if we can take that information and say, okay, maybe not every house that we investigate is a Sally house, but keep it in the back of your mind that if that was the case and spirits were free to roam and do whatever they did, not just exclusive to bigger places like the Sally house and, and, you know, the Lizzie Borden house and all these other big places that we know. But if we can say to ourselves that maybe if we can take our own advice and look at every house to say, hey, wait a minute, things might not always be as they seem. Sure. Maybe we need to do a little background on the house. Maybe we yes. need to, to, to travel back to what that land was prior to that, if there was bloodshed on that, if there was, exactly. you know, who, who was that? Were they from Native American, you know, Indians? Is it, is it from the Civil War? Let's, let's do a little research because just because we believe or somebody sees something that they think is, hey, you know, my house is haunted, but this person doesn't really bother me, so I can coexist with it. Okay, maybe that's true, but let's find out really what it is because it could still be that type of entity that could familiarize itself to deceive you into believing it's something that it's not. And this is the thing, and, and, and I'm glad you make up, you point out that differentiation because you can go into a house, which I'm, we're going to say it's haunted by regular dead people, what I call regular dead people. You know, whether they're stuck in a loop, they don't know what they're dead, this is was their house, blah, blah, blah. And it's scary, but they're not malevolent, in other words. You know, and whatever the experience might be, maybe depending on the sensitivity of the people that are there, who knows. But that's different from having an experience where the entity or entities are manipulating reality in order to manipulate the live people that is scary because that has that's not somebody that's let's say going through the motions of what they did when they were alive we're showing this to me is like an intelligence and why would an entity want to manipulate the living in that unless there was you know some dark objective in mind when you're talking manipulation to me that that only goes in one direction and I think that that's the differentiation sometimes that, like you said, that if you really look a little bit further or what's obvious, because, you know, I'm sure you've heard, well, people, 
uh, this person died. And I was thinking, you know what, maybe not now, but once upon a time it was very normal that people died in their homes. It's not like now that people, you know, get sick and they go to the hospital. Or A lot of people would end up dying in their homes. This, and that doesn't mean that they were going to end up haunting it. Or they had the funerals in the, you know, in the, in the downstairs of the house or, you know, whatever. Um, especially in these older homes. But like you said, sometimes when you investigate as to maybe what happened on that land, that sometimes is like where, that's, that's where the real culprit is as far as any type of activity. Absolutely. And I'm going to say this to your listeners out there. Um, there's one more little thing that I, I have to throw this in because it was, it was scary to me. It makes me stop and think. And, and this is what I would say to, to them out there is that I understand that believe in the demonic realm and in the religion aspect. And there's so many different beliefs that we're not supposed to fear death. And I do believe that. I don't believe that we should fear death. I believe that the essence of who we are as people, our soul, our spirit, our energy, is pretty well already recognized in that realm. That's why we have certain auras that we could look at somebody and feel drawn to them and connect with them. And there's other people that we could look at and say, I don't know what it is about that person, but they just just rubbed me the wrong way. I, I, I believe that that supernatural realm can detect those things like we can detect those things. But the the uh, quick little story that I have to say is this. I've all, often wondered, you know, when dealing with dark entities and what people see, um, I have, it, uh, you know, different allegations of, of doctor that would talk about certain things of people that would die and pass on. And, and there was one in particular that talked about a patient that was dying. I believe it was cancer. It was a disease. Okay. They were on death's door. Um, they didn't have much time left. The last minute of this person's life in hospice um, really made an impact on the physicians that were there. And the allegation was this. The person, just before they died, looked up, face frightening as if it saw something coming after them. And the last words of this person before they died was, oh, my God, they have no eyes. Oh, God. And then that person died. So (laughs) I took that as do we know everything that's happening 100%? No, we don't because we're not dead. We're not in that realm to see those things. Do I want people to be scared to say, oh, my God, I don't want to die because I don't want to see those beings? Right. Of course not. That's not what it is. But what, what the lesson that I took out of that whole thing was maybe in this realm, and like I was telling you, when you come to a certain part in your life, family, your loved ones, your husband, your wife, uh, your children, those around you that are immediate to you, yes. to acknowledge that, to, to connect with them, to appreciate what you have while you have it on this earth, and that aura and that energy that you present, project to those who around you, that comforting feeling that they might have with you or vice versa, I believe that can be carried and detected and seen Yes. in the unseen realm. And yes. I think that's what differentiates how 
we're embraced at the moment of death and who embraces us of course of course we we need like I tell everybody, you know, you're living and you need your anchors in this life. And usually your anchors are other human beings. Okay. Family, children, friends, you know. Sometimes you have people that are friends that are like family. These these are the anchors that keep us in this world. Uh, and I think able to endure when we go through hardships. And yeah, like I say, this space is... I don't want to get on my little soapbox again and everybody's going to go, oh, there she goes again. But you know what, Joe, I tell everybody um, in my experience, you know, as an investigator and through other things, um, I am the kind of person that I've always said, you know what, I know that, and I'm sure you've seen it, some investigators, some shows will tell the people, it's okay, you know, the old owner, he's not bad. You know, you can, if you want to live with him, it's okay. And I personally don't ever think that it's good for the living to cohabitate with a spirit that's bound to this plane. Okay. If, if, if you, if your ego is still caught up that this is your house, you've got a problem. That means you haven't gone into the presence of the divine because once you have, you shed your ego, you have no need. In other words, there was your, you don't need a house. You don't have a body. You know, that, that materialistic us that we have, this is my house, my, my stuff, you shed it. You don't need it. So when, you have an entity that that's still bound here and we're going to go with that example like I said like the old homeowner uh, once you have that type of entity even if they were not a bad person in life uh, I tell everybody you know even if you think well you know he could stick around as, as long as he stays in the attic I go that's not really a good idea eventually that goes that goes bad maybe soon maybe 10 years later and I said if I were you, then I've given this advice more than once. Um, you need to urge this person to move on or ask for somebody to come get them. Stop with uh, putting out the welcome mat. You know, and you got to tell them, by the way, this is my house. You're dead. Okay. And you need to go and have, go into the right place. It's going to be okay. And you got to say that a few times. And, and I say, eventually at some point they will move on or somebody will come for them. But I've never been in the school of thought you know if you've got uh, an earthbound spirit cohabitating with in the same space as humans I've seen it so many times somewhere along the line it just does not work out and I tell them it's different when it's a family member somebody that's for lack of a better word has gone into the presence of the divine they understand and they come back and visit and Let's say it's family check you out, but that's it. They're not bound. They they're gonna let you do what you need to do as a living person and work it out. Uh, but they're not bound. You know they could come and visit, but they're gone. They they have their ego that we have while we're here. They don't have that anymore. And uh, because I tell them, I think what what happens to all human beings when they're bound in a place, they get very frustrated, and then you start getting what happens to most human beings, even the nicest people, they become jealous. Uh, it brings out the worst characteristics in a person and I think that that's what happens a lot of times with these hauntings that maybe initially were kind of like for lack of a better word like in innocent you know and then as time goes by they become darker and I think it's because of that when you have a human soul that's out of the presence of the divine bound on this plane wanting to be alive but doesn't have a body eventually that that's I think when then people things ramp up and they start having darker experiences you know especially if they stayed in the same place for a number of years and I don't know if you've run across that 
And I know, like I said, a lot of investigators don't agree with me on that. Yeah, no, no, I definitely, I totally agree on with you on that. And, and I think that is ultimately the best advice, you know, what I would say, like what we've talked about throughout this whole show, which we've talked about so many different things. I guess the best advice is that I, I think it's not to take everything for granted. Yes. And sometimes it's not black and white. There are some little finalities or intricate things in between that does need to be taken into account for because it's a combination of a bunch of things that makes an investigator excel sure. at what they're doing and, and helping people and how they go about it. And if it's out of their realm, they definitely should hand it off to other people. That's why I said the most biggest thing is when investigators come in, you have somebody that operates the cameras, you got somebody that takes the pictures, you got somebody that does the screen and talks to people, and then you got somebody that does that spiritual walkthrough. Because some yes. people are humanistically a good EMS detector yes. um, because they can sense those things. And, yes. and everybody plays a vital role. You can't have a tennis player playing football and a football playing basketball. It's just everybody's got to know their role and what they do good and, and, and you know, and what they excel at. And that, you, you know, globally makes everybody um, as a team become one where nobody's stealing the spotlight from another investigator. Everybody's playing a big key because right. not everybody's a photographer. Not everybody's good at tearing EVPs, pulling out EVPs, cleaning up EVPs. Yes. So it's 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 so many it's so many of those things but uh you know anyway i i do have to tell you this it's been fun i am yes. very happy that i've done this show because Thank you so much it's, it's been a while that i can sit and talk to you know your audience and you about investigating and the psychological aspects of mm -hmm. and all the little things that that really go into investigating other than just telling a good scary story right, or, the or talking about those things right because the, the reality shows will make everything dramatically powerful for for 15 minutes and yes. uh, and know just when to go to a commercial break and <laughs> you know and leave <laughs> and, and leave you on your on your seat but it's it's the little it's it's the other stuff that is behind the scenes things that in my opinion um you know make an investigator so i definitely would come on to your show again and oh, absolutely maybe we talk absolutely about and and before i forget and joe your yep. your website address is uh josetrone.net right that's correct so you can go to www.josetrone.net um that's my website um my contact information i mean even my email right now um it's uh it's shadowhunter0624 at gmail.com um, the, the link in my website will obviously take you to that, but okay. if you need to email me out there, guys, um, any questions that you have, I always try to respond and, and answer questions and, and, and do all those things and just kind of interact with, uh, with people out there because, Hey, look, we're all, we're all working together sure. to help each other and to learn and grow. So it's, uh, it's always a pleasure to, to be able to talk to people, um, on a daily basis, what, what, no matter what they are, we don't always have to be doing a show or, of course. or writing a book or doing a book signing. It really is also about just connecting with people and, and trying to help them find solutions uh, to what might be happening in their house. And that's, yes. that's where I 
am trying to, as, as, as I want to make my resolution for 2019, um, what I'd like to do is to, to be more, to be more available to help people and answer people's questions yes. and, and be there for them on a different aspect than always being the one that goes out there and does the investigation. It's right. nice to just kind of sit back and, and be able to consult and help people. So Absolutely. that's and what I'm hoping them... that I'll be able to do for 2019. Absolutely. There's sometimes a lot of people that feel isolated. And when they have somebody that tells them, you know what, I understand, or I've heard of that, or you're not alone or whatever, that's, that sometimes is a really, really big weight off the shoulder of somebody that really doesn't understand what's going on. Absolutely. Again, Joe, thank you so much. It has been absolutely wonderful, and I wish you the best of luck. And I do want you to come back. I don't, before I forget, I know you brought out a book now in 2017, which is a fiction. Are you planning anything else, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, for the future? Okay, great question. So I'll answer this really quick because I do want to say this. I'm glad you said that. Okay. So I wrote Seduced, you know, um, a few years back, and then I kind of revamped it and, and made it into a spiritual memoir and uh, okay. my wife to be um cheryl she actually said to me hey you know what maybe you need to pull out more of the emotional part of of this book and 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 help me understand that so i took seduced as a platform to learn a little bit more about writing for an emotional reason and then and then i did mystic winds and i tapped into the novel Okay. aspect and I can see where I started to learn to paint pictures and and be a little bit descriptive and maybe sometimes too descriptive and <laughs> and trying to learn different ways and I'm like okay I see the error on that it was a good it was a good it was a good platform but I say th there's something else that I have in me and right now we're working on a new book and and hopefully you know I'm gonna see where, where it goes in 2019 but this is a really good thing because it is a supernatural based uh novel um it deals with uh it deals with addiction it deals with consequences it, it deals with uh, uh, a few different little things and, and i've spent these past few months really trying to outline it and 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 give good characters and powerful dialogue and doing all those things don't have a title for that, but I will say this: I think if I could take my two my two books in Mystic Winds and and what I've learned with Seduce, okay. and I can take that information and and knowledge, um, then I believe that this book might be something really powerful because it is going to be supernatural, it's going to be psychological, and it's going to deal with real stuff, relationships, um, people, dialogue, addictions, and and I'm hoping. I'm hoping that this will be like everybody, you know, I remember Stephen King saying one thing. He said, every writer has at least one good novel in them. And yes. I believe that this might be that good novel. Absolutely. And you know what the most important thing is that you write, because that's the thing. A lot of people say, oh, I'm going to, I want to write a book. I want to, but they just never do the execution part. <laughs> that's as far that's as right, they go. It's, it's easier to say, I want to write a book. Oh, but sure. You have to you have to sit there with a blank Word uh -huh. document, and you've got to come up with the first line. Yes. And then you've got to take that and at least put seventy-five to 80,000 words down on that, and that's not exactly. easy. Exactly. And so that's what I'm saying. You know, congratulations on the first time. I tell everybody, you don't know. You don't realize sometimes, and, and I know sometimes 
you know, we have a tendency as far as we, we're critical of our own stuff. Like you said, oh, I, it's like, who cares? You did it. You know how many people don't ever get that far? So that in and of itself, believe me. So hopefully then awesome. 2019, you've got your plans. You're you're ready to go. <laughs> yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. I'm going to enjoy a couple of months for the rest of this year and really take it in and uh, plant a new direction and, and a new, a whole new, uh, Plan a whole new garden in 2019 of a couple little things that sure. I want to do and, and accomplish. But uh, anyway, yes, I will definitely come on to your show again. Uh, thank and you so we much. Can, we can go and talk about anything we want. And hopefully by then um, I'll have more news on the, on the new novel and, and maybe, you know, what's happening in as far as in the supernatural paranormal world as far as uh, works and, and little things like that. So we'll see. Perfect. Okay. Thank you so much and take care, Joe. All right. Have a good night. Take care. We'll you see too. you all. Bye-bye. Have a good week and happy Labor Day. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. So, guys, wasn't that a great interview with Joe? And lucky me, I have only good guests, interesting guests. Of course, that's why I picked up to come on this show. <laughs> because, you know what, I know, I, I'm not going to lie. I, I, yes, I, I try to bring people on that I think my audience is going to enjoy, but it's like no mystery. Uh, these are people that I want to talk to as well. And in some cases, some of them already know. I, I, I know them or I've known them or I've talked to them before the show. But still, um, people evolve. People change. You know, especially in the this field. And it's really funny because there are some paranormal investigators, which I've known personally, uh, for years and then there's others that I've met because you know the show and you know I've known of them but I've never had the, the opportunity to meet them and then others I've met because I start I came across their work and uh, one thing that I've, I've found that's in common with anybody that's done this work uh, for for a bit and it's exactly what he described which is you get to the point that you space out your investigations. You know, you either take a, you either take a, like a vacation for lack of a better word. You like shut down and don't take any more cases, not even consulting. By this, I mean you shut down totally. Or you take a back seat to the investigation that somebody else, because I think and I've spoken of this before when you do this long enough and you really understand it and uh, the reality of it how's that you realize I, I need that boundary between me as a live person with an ordinary life and then you know how they say the walk on the wild side well walk on the supernatural side which is where okay I've got to go in there I don't want to say suspend my disbelief because, but up to a certain point, you have to go in there with an open mind. And if you let that, that mentality or that mindset bleed over into your real life, it can cause a big problem. And then of course, you know, I've spoken about it. Sometimes you come across some type of, um, an investigation, which is dark, or, you know, sometimes you run across these cases and, um, that not everything gets resolved. 
and I think a lot of times when we see these reality shows or you know or uh, movies you know people think of things being resolved even some some of these darker things where there's exorcisms or whatever whatever it is is cast out they bless the house whoosh, everything is good that's not always the way it works out in this time you know there are some cases which sometimes they're not dark they do have a haunting and they're not in the family or the person steps away and sometimes they come back up on your radar the ones that worry you the most are the ones that you know that there's something malevolent in the house that's affecting the people and what's the dynamics between them and and sometimes you even fear you know this is not the place this is you guys are carrying something with you and sometimes even that starts working if, if they move into the wrong house they, they kind of get it from both sides something that they carry with them that walks with them and then something that's there and you really want to help these people but sometimes people believe it or not they don't want the help or they walk away from it it's almost like you know what we were talking about what he described in the Sally house where whatever is there manipulates reality so that depending on who it is that's there sees something that maybe brings down their guard or allows them to engage it and then like he said it rears its ugly head all right and you find that phenomenon a lot especially in uh, any cases that have some type of dark aspect to them okay where there's a manipulation of the people and depending how long they've had it the manipulation can extend to the point of where that person has asked for help and maybe a team has gone in there and confirmed and if they can't help themselves that look I can maybe get somebody in here to do a blessing on your house or you know why don't you do this and all of a sudden they walk away from it okay and by this I mean they move away or they cut communications with a team and I guess what happens is that there is no resolution sometimes you never find out and the best you can do is hope that things turn out well for the family or for the person okay but you never have an answer and, so, and 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 knowing what you know you think unless something really significant happens this is not gonna end well maybe it might take a few years for it to not end well but you see it going in that direction and when you have enough of you run across those types of cases or those examples you realize exactly what Joe was talking about that you give thanks for the good things that you have in your life um, <clears throat> the the wonderfulness of being ordinary and there's a lot of happiness in being ordinary okay uh, as far as in the simple things you know the people that you have around you family friends friends that are like family you know whatever your circumstances are um, that you learn to appreciate them on a day-to-day -day basis and by this I'm not saying you're expecting you know bad things to happen but you realize that you know the everyday is special and as a matter of fact that even before we started recording I asked you so how what are you gonna do for your Labor Day weekend he goes oh, I'm gonna do something around the house tomorrow and then um, uh, by the time Monday rolls around we're gonna have a barbecue but it's but I said oh you're not going He goes, no I'm not, I'm not interested in uh, doing any traveling and you know 
And I understand exactly what he talks about. Like that sometimes, you know, having a barbecue and having friends or family or whoever, whether it's six people or 26, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. It's a happy thing, you know. Um, And sometimes, you know, unfortunately, we kind of get the impression that the more dramatic or, you know, exciting your life is, the happier you are. And it's like, not really. And again, I think that's why when you do this type of work, um, you have a big, strong boundary between your life, your family, living your life and having it overlap into when you go into an investigation or when you consult on something. Because in in the end, it's all about being happy. Yeah, all about being happy. And like I was telling him, you know, a lot of people that sometimes, especially in the, in when it w- comes to working with the supernatural, they do stupid things because they don't want to be ordinary. Okay, they kind of don't see what's in front of their face or they don't take the precautions they should because they want the oomph moment. Uh, and by the way, a lot of times you can have confirmation of the supernatural or the reality of it or how it is just because we can't see it. In the subtlest and a, or the most unexpected moment, and I'm gonna use Joe's Joe again. He had a conversation with his father, an uncommon conversation, with no his father wasn't sick, with no ex- knowledge or anticipating anything happening to his dad. And two days later, his dad passes away. And my point being that sometimes things like this happen and it doesn't have to be like, you know, that you have to go looking for it or running around in a haunted house or, you know, trying to do an EVP. Sometimes a supernatural or that proof or that knowing that there's something that lies beyond that what happens to us when we die comes to you in the subtlest, most unexpected ways. And there you are. You know, so... Again, guys, I hope you like this show. I know I loved it. I'm hoping to bring Joe back. I'm sure you, you've seen him a lot of times. He's a consultant. He's consulted as an expert on uh, Haunted Files, which I believe airs on Destination America. And uh, he knows his stuff. He knows his stuff. And for all those would-be investigators or the newbies, uh, yes, it's absolutely fascinating. But you always got to tread lightly or like what he said, and, and and I've talked about this before, what happened that experience he had in the Sally House, where even with all his experience, he knew I need to pray and leave. <laughs> and that's what it does. That's exactly what sometimes you end up doing. I need to pray and leave, like vacate the premises, like right now. See ya. You know what? Whatever is there, I don't want to know what exactly it is. You know, like, you know, sometimes ignorance is bliss. Well, that's where the bliss part, where like, whatever it is, I don't, I want it to remain in my ignorance. So guys, don't forget, go ahead, subscribe to the channel, whether you're viewing it on YouTube or you're catching me a podcast version on any of the podcast platforms. So that way you get notified of when a new show comes out. Also, my true believers, send me your stories at Miami at Marlene at Marlene at Miami Ghost Chronicles dot com, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You know, there I post uh, all the new shows when they come out. As far as links, I also give a heads up. Also, uh, what's going to be the new show 
when it airs and who's the guest. And again, guys, I want to thank you so very much for being part of my audience and spending this time with me. It has been absolutely wonderful. And of course, you know that you are as well. Take care.